as you know, we're uh, working through Exodus, really, to um, look at uh, the, the life of Moses and um, what it can teach us as a church and uh, what it can teach us uh, as individuals. And Nigel, before he went, um, gave me two passages to, to, to preach from this, this week and next week. Uh, the passage this week takes up seven chapters. Um, poor old Steve's got about 53, um, uh, and he's struggling through that uh, when he comes. But um, I've got seven chapters. And the, the title that, that, uh, that, that Nigel's really asked me to talk on is Lord of the Insecure and the God who's all-powerful. That's the thread that should be running uh, through this talk. Now, I, 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 I've laboured quite hard on this one to come up with uh, a PowerPoint presentation, and I can't. Um, so you're not going to get a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, one of the joys of sitting through PowerPoint presentation is if you sit in the front row, you can actually see how many more slides there are to come uh, up there. And, and sometimes, if you're like me, you think, good grief, it's 5 to 12, and he's got another 6 to go. Well, you're not going to be able to do that this morning, um, so you're just going to wait and let, let me work through it. But uh, I did think I'd read... Uh, chapter 5 to you. So if you've got your Bibles with you, um, we'll, we'll read chap- Exodus chapter 5. Not a very long tr- chapter, but it actually sets the scene for what go- uh, God is going to do. Uh, what's happened so far is that uh, Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. Uh, last week uh, he met God by the burning bush um, and he's now been sent back uh, with Aaron to go to speak to Pharaoh. So afterwards, uh, this is after he's spoken to the elders of, the, of Israel, afterwards Moses and Pharaoh, uh, Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. (coughs) Then he said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us take a three-day journey. This is Moses. Let us take a three-day journey uh, into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike you with plagues and with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and find your own straw wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather 
stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by uh, Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you get you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. This is why you keep saying, let's go and sacrifice. Lord. Now, get to work. You will not be given any straw and you must produce this, your full quota of bricks. Then the Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told you are to re not to reduce the number of bricks required of you. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, this is great, isn't it? May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So, not a very auspicious start. Um, so last week we heard how Moses was sent by God, uh, call of God, go and tell Pharaoh uh, that uh, he's to release them. Uh, and that, that Moses was told, actually, these years of captivity are coming to an end. When Moses asked God what his name was, the ringing reply came, I am who I am. And Moses was told to tell everyone that the great I am had sent him. Now, Moses is one of the greatest, if not the, uh, one of the great, if not the greatest figures in the Old Testament. Yet, despite having talked with God by the burning bush, Moses was still uncertain of his mission and calling, and still feeling quite inadequate to the task ahead. And that tells us one thing, that God somehow uses, seems to use people who in themselves are not towering figures of strength to carry out his work for him. So if you think of Gideon or Samuel or David, they all needed extra support and guidance before rising to the, occupation, the, 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 the task they were given. Now, Moses' task was quite simple and yet fraught with danger. He had to go before the king of Egypt, who at that time was probably the most powerful man in the known world, and ask for him to release the Israelites. Imagine going to Stalin or to Hitler with a request like that, because that's what it's like. He was the most powerful man in the world. And what was he asking him for? He was saying, I want you to release uh, the Israelites. Now, the Israelite men amounted to something like 600,000 men of, 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 of army age, service age. 600,000 men. And together with all their families and livestock, they were going to go. In fact, if you look at Exodus 12, 37, uh, it, that's what it tells you. So it's thought by some commentators that the, the whole company of the Israelites numbered some three million people in all. Now just imagine our country, which is far more populated than um, Egypt would have been. The loss of 600,000 working people would have been phenomenal cost 
to the country. 600,000 working people would have been a phenomenal. I, I went on the internet and looked up how many people in the National Health Service. Actually, there's about a million of you. Um, so it, it, it's six-tenths of the, of, 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 of the, of the um, National Health Service just going, or whatever way you want to. 600,000 men is an awful lot of men to lose from your economy, especially when the labour is free especially when they are producing uh, building materials. So what can this fascinating record of God's dealing with the hesitant Moses and the arrogant Pharaoh tell us as we live today some 3,700 years later? What does it tell us as we seek to establish and build churches here in North Wales? How does it help us in our personal walk with God. Those are the things I think that we want to draw out uh, from this story. So let's look at firstly, God never does anything by chance. He plans out everything down to the last detail. But but he does not always tell us in advance every detail of his plans, which demands faith on our part. So we might take a step at a time. And we need to increase our faith as we go. So he told Abraham uh, that he's in just Genesis 15, 13, 14, you can read how he told Abraham that his descendants would end up in captivity. Didn't say where, but it was Egypt. And that they would be there for 400 years. He told him that they would become slaves, that they would be ill-treated. But he also said to Abraham that when he were released by God's own hand, they would come out of the land with great possessions. So Abraham knew about it. Isaac knew about it. Jacob knew about it. It was, it was foretold quite clearly in the scriptures what was going to happen to them. And God, uh, if you look in, in Exodus 3:16 to 22, God repeats this promise to Moses, even down to how the Israelite women are, folk are to ask the Egyptian neighbours for silver, gold and clothing. So God remembers what he said over 400 years ago. And you'll see later on that when they actually came out, be next week, uh, that, that, that they actually came out and they plundered the Egyptians, it said. Secondly, just because you've heard from God does not mean that there will not be trials and testing times ahead. That's one of the things we've got to understand. One of the things that, that the, old, uh, uh, the, old, remember the old choruses uh, uh, we used to sing, that it was always, always going to work out right in a sweet by and by. If you trust, with Je trust Jesus, you'll never have another problem. Do you remember some of those choruses we sang? We're a bit more realistic nowadays in what we, what we sing. But there will be times uh, ahead. So uh, Rupert's already uh, mentioned it, but I've, I've mentioned it, I'm mentioning it here. Take example Bev and Julian, who are out there doing the children's work uh, for us this morning. They feel led to join us here in Gateway. They feel that led to become part of the thrust of this church into North Wales. So they don't see themselves particularly joining Gateway here, but something in the future. But for them, house sales have fallen through. They are experiencing frustration. And I have to say, some measure of financial hardship. And for them, having taken this step of faith, having left their previous church, having said they're going to join us, there seemed to be no light at the end of the tunnel. 
They thought that they... I, I spoke to uh, Bev last week, and uh, yeah, the house sale has fallen through again. Second time it's happened. So the question is, have they got it wrong? Where's God in all of this? This type of testing calls for faith and endurance. And many of you I know have been through or going through that sort of experience. So let's see what happened to Moses. First of all, in the chapter previous to the one I read, he goes to the elders and tells them what God has said. And he gets their approval for going to Pharaoh to obtain their release. So he speaks to the elders first and says, this is what God has said. And God said quite clearly that, that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened, that several things would have to happen before they went out. But the question is this, what exactly did they hear? Was it only the prospect of freedom? Because we can be very selective in our hearing. We can be very selective in what we say we do. Let me give you a little example of this one, um, which most of you we're not going to rise to. Um, I decided on holiday that I ought to do more in the house. Um, and, and so I said to Maureen, um, I think I ought to do more in the house and help you. I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'll clean, I'll clean the baths and the basins and the toilet. I'll be the sanitary engineer. I will do that. And so on Tuesday, after coming back from holiday, it was the first time uh, of my new job. And Maureen showed me where all the stuff was. Uh, you do this for this and that for that. And you spray that, but not for too much. And you do that and you do that. And here's the brush. And I did it. And I did it all. And only a man can do brilliantly. And, it, and, and, it, and I, I, I was strutting around. You could see your face and everything. It looked good. And I, I, I said to mine, I said, because oh, there was no praise coming. No, all it, made it, was, it was all just quiet. And, and, and I thought, this isn't very good at all. So I, I said to her, did, um, are you pleased with what I did? And do you know what she said? Because she'd read this passage as well. Talk about making bricks. Now. She said, did you wipe down the skirting boards? So I said, no. She said, well, you've got to do that as well. So I said, there's a demarcation. I do sanitary wear. It's white, and I don't do the skirting board. Got to go back and do, so I had to go back and do the skirting boards. Um, and and that, that's what happens. Isn't it? You, you step out in faith thinking it's all going to be glowing, and, and, and actually you find out you haven't done the job uh, as well as you thought I have. So... You don't always listen to what the task is. That's the point I'm trying to make. I don't know why I've said it now. Um, but that's, we don't always hear. Sometimes we can be very selective in our hearing, very selective in the things that we take on. So did, did these Israelite elders, did they not understand what God was saying, that testing times were coming? Did they just think, oh, Pharaoh's going to release us? Did they not realise that life could and would become much more difficult for them before they won their freedom. So when we think we've heard from God, do we, we do need to have those words weighed by mature friends and leaders before we act. That's what we're saying. If you're hearing from God about doing something, do talk to others to maybe bring some counsel into that. We need to remember all of what God said 
and take it into account some of the difficulties and sacrifices that may lie ahead. If we look in strictly financial terms, some of the people who have moved here from other parts of the country are still not as well off as they were previously. If you don't believe me, talk to Phil and Anne. They will tell you they had better jobs and better pay. How many years have you been up here now? Four? Three and a half years. They still haven't, you haven't really made it up yet. No? Okay. <coughs> Nigel and Callie would be the same. There are Rupert and Fleur would probably be the same. That they haven't, with their joint incomes that you were earning in Coventry, probably are not matching what they are earning now. So some people who have moved here actually are still going through financial hardship. Would that be true, guys? And, and, and we've got Bev and, and Julian outside also having to make sacrifices. So it doesn't always go through uh, as easy as we, as we think it will. Mission still entails hardship and sacrifice along the way. So when Pharaoh goes, Moses goes to Pharaoh, the reaction is not good. In fact, it couldn't be worse for the Israelite slaves. Work conditions suddenly and dramatically worsen. They will now have to scour the countryside uh, to find their own materials whilst maintaining productivity. And the slave drivers are urged by Pharaoh to become even more brutal in their treatment of them. Remember, 40 years previously, Moses had killed an Egyptian slave driver for beating an Israelite and had to leave the country. 40 years later, things have still not improved and in fact are going to get even worse. And the result of this is that the people then become alienated against Moses and Pharaoh, which is just what Pharaoh wanted. He was a very wily ruler. Divide and rule is one of the oldest tricks that the devil has. And so if you look at Adam and Eve, where he first starts, he divided and ruled. With, it, with, with what he told Eve and then and to Adam. It happens with husbands and wives. It happens with peoples and leaders that you divide and rule. Actually, you can feel a wedge coming through. Uh, when I used to do uh, much more uh, parental counselling, um, I would often say children will try and drive a wedge between husband and wife. I don't suppose you've ever experienced it, but I can tell you it does happen. Yeah, have you experienced it as parents? They will try and drive a wedge. They will go to mum or to dad. Uh, and they're very quietly, they're very quick on the uptake kids, aren't they? They know who's the softest one on which area. And so they will go to that one first and get permission. And it causes horrendous arguments uh, in the home if you're not careful. Families... Uh, become at risk in stressful times. When trouble strikes, it may be unemployment or it may be financial hardship or trying to move or just wanting to step out for God. My own son-in-law, as you know, in, who, who stepped out in faith and moved to join church plant in Northumberland. 18 months uh, later, he's suddenly thrown out of work and can't find another job. I talked, spoke to my daughter um, this week and she said there's just nothing about that he can actually apply for. Perhaps you feel God calling you to a particular form of service that requires more faith than usual. 
Perhaps you're feeling a stirring to, to prophesy or to pray for healing or to do something different, maybe to do the children's work. Times like this can be very difficult unless you pray and talk together, which is why we need Christian friends and family around you and supporting you, particularly when it doesn't go as well as you expect. Moses himself came under attack uh, at this time. Uh, his first three miracles, um, uh, which he performed in front of, 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 of Pharaoh, was actually replicated by the, the magicians and wise men. So he had his staff, this wooden staff, which he threw down and become a snake. And the Egyptian uh, magicians did the same. Their staff threw it down, became a snake. The only trouble is that Moses' snake ate up their snakes, uh, and, and which, which rather, but that's what he did. When, when, when Moses said, I will turn the river of, of Nile into blood, and it turned red, the magicians were able to do the same. When there was going to be a plague of flogs, frogs, and, and, and everywhere there were flogs, or even frogs, running around, you couldn't flog them, there were so many of them. And uh, what happened? Well, the Egyptian magicians were able to do the same. They were able to do the same, but they were quite limited as to what exactly they could do. So Pharaoh became very contemptuous of Moses and his claim to have God on his side. Things like this can make you doubt whether you've actually heard from God. Or, even more dangerous, you can start to try and change the call to fit in with the circumstances. I've done that. You try and change things around a little bit. If I move this, I'm a great manipulator. Okay, well, we won't do that. We do this. And, and, and it, 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 try and make it come right. Moses had to hold his nerve in this and keep going back doing more and more miracles uh, as God commanded. But God, you see, can be very subtle. When God sent in the swarms of flies to pester and pollute the land, he did not send them on the Israelites in Goshen, where they were living. So the flies came everywhere except on the Israelites which probably gave Rose to that, rise to that exp ex uh, expression, there's no flies on you. I'm sure it comes from there. Do you remember that expression, there's no flies on you? Meaning you're very savvy. Actually, I think it comes from here. There were no flies on the Israelites. Okay. Likewise, when the plague of livestock came and it, the Egyptian livestock were dying, nothing happened to the Israelites' livestock. They were, they were alive and well. And when the, 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 the plague of the hailstones came, it didn't affect the Egyptians, the, the Israelites. The Israelites' stock, uh, crops were still growing. So what God is clearly showing Pharaoh here is that he alone is God and rules over Egypt by deciding when and how things will happen. And even when Pharaoh, Moses allows Pharaoh to decide when a plague will stop, it was, it was God who said, well, Moses said to Pharaoh, okay, when do you want it to stop? And he said, tomorrow, tomorrow it will be, and, and, and a plague stopped. As you'll probably gather, I'm not working through all the ten plagues here, because uh, we go on all night, otherwise there's seven chapters. I'm only dealing with one, and it's only quarter to twelve. Right, and uh, Pharaoh can also be very subtle. 
if you read through these plagues, I suggest you do and see how God starts to outwork his plans. Pharaoh be- officials begin to realize that the increasing intensity of the plagues was having a severe financial effect on the economy. The crops were dying, the cattle were dying, work was, was, was ceasing, water was, land was polluted. They realized this, this Moses is bringing about dramatic change. We can't go on like this as a country. And as usual, it is financial constraints that bring, begin to bring in a change of tone. So when at first Pharaoh says, no, you can't go out and sacrifice, get back to work, you're lazy, he starts to change his tune. And so in 825, uh, uh, he, he actually says, well, I tell you what, your men can go and sacrifice in the desert. Let the guys go. Well, I'll, I'll give them a couple of days off. They can have holiday. They can go and sacrifice. What he's saying is, because you'll have to come back. Because the rest of their family's going to be here, aren't you? And Moses says, no, we've all got to go. A little bit later on in, in, in chapter 10, he says, well, I'll tell you what. Um, your wives and your children can go, but you've got to come back. That's it. That's all. So in other words, they could go, but they wouldn't have any means of sustaining themselves. They would have no food. And then in, in, in 1024, he says, well, you can go with your livestock, but it's going to stay here. And that wasn't very good. So what Pharaoh is trying to do is ensure that if the if Israelites cannot move very far from his control, away from his families, from their families or their, or their support or, 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 or anything else. Leaders at this time of, 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 of testing can also come under intense pressure when they're following the call of God. Particularly when facing with dilemmas, tempting compromises arise, which appear to be part of the answer. And, you know, I, I'm thinking actually of, of, of things that, that, that can happen, like when to buy a building and where to put it or where to move to and things like that. And, and, and you can you can actually be very tempted to take uh, the first option. Um, my son in Coventry, uh, they, they, be really wanting to, they've been wanting to buy a building for some time. They've got quite a num- bit of money stashed away in their giving, uh, but they've looked at various premises. In fact, um, my son-in-law, Adrian, who is uh, as a chartered surveyor, has actually looked into several properties and the prospects of converting it. And, but each one has not been quite right, or they've not been able to get planning permission or whatever. And so they're, they're, they're sitting there, congregation of about 250, um, and they can't find uh, a building to, 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 to occupy and you can be under intense pressure at times like that to take the nearest option, to take the other option. Sometimes when you're out of work, you can be under intense uh, pressure to take the job that's not quite suitable or to, 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 to meet the person uh, that you might want to fall in love with. It's not quite the right person. You can come under intense pressure. And leaders can also come under this pressure. And they need real wisdom is needed to discern the will of God in these situations, which is why relationships that develop with other new refrontier leaders are so important to Nigel and others. It's important that he goes and meets together with other leaders. It's important that they have a relationship where they can talk into each other's lives. It's important when they can say to Nigel, you're potty for trying to do that, or that's good, or we hear from God. You need that. 
And when you're on your own, when you're isolated, that's when it can become extremely difficult and I would suggest extremely dangerous for a church. So we're all too aware that the Christian life is not an easy one to walk and that we have to be resolute and strong, which in turn needs to be mixed with faith and obedience. The longer Moses walked with God, the more resolute and strong he became. So from the man who said, well, I can't possibly talk to, to in front of uh, 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 Pharaoh. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm weak, of, 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 I can't speak very well. And Aaron had to be his mouthpiece. Increasingly, you see him through the plagues becoming stronger and stronger and stronger and more uh, powerful. And as the plagues uh, increased in intensity and at times uh, and places of God's instigation, God, Moses' faith was increasing and he was becoming stronger as a result. This actually teaches us that when we step out for God our, in faith, he will increase the effect in line with our faith. All right? If you've got to step out in faith, only do the things that you're in faith for. I believe this church... God's wanting to draw people out to do things. Now that's quite nerve-wracking. That's quite frightening when you pray for somebody for the first time. No matter what it is when you pray, but God says, do it. And you will see my faith and my power increasing as you move out more and more. Have you, some of you experienced that, I know. But do it. Don't hold back. Don't go too far. Don't go beyond where you feel God is saying but God will increase um, your faith in line with your willingness and obedience. It's not been particularly easy setting up a, a new church here in Wrexham, but God wants more from us yet. That's good news, isn't it? All right? It's not been this easy, but God wants more from us yet. And I've no doubt that in the coming months, we're going to be, be stretched in, in many different ways, especially when we start this new group in Deeside. We're hoping to start that in September. It's going to stretch us. It's going to stretch us. It's going to, it's going to pull us in all sorts of different di uh, directions. And plans that we make may be frustrated and not come to fruition exactly as we thought they might. That doesn't mean, of course, that we haven't heard from God but just that his things to work out in individual and corporate lives before they happen. God takes you a step at a time. As I said from the beginning, he, he knows exactly what he's doing. He doesn't tell us exactly what he's doing. He doesn't always give us the whole picture. So as a church, we need to gather together frequently to seek God and to pray for wisdom as events unfold to give each other support as the times get tough, to help each other hold firmly to what we've heard God say and not try and dilute or alter our plans when we meet obstructions. Good fellowship is not just about good meetings and socialising together, although that's important, and I hope you all turn up on, on, on Saturday for a barbecue. We really want everybody there. Uh, bring some of your friends, as long as you let Rachel and Chris know. Uh, but come. Bring people, enjoy each other's company, enjoy the countryside. Uh, they've ordered good weather, I understand, and, and, and so it's going to be water, water, sunshine, and so we're going to have a fantastic time. But it's not just about that. 
It's also about meeting regularly to pray together and seek out the direction God wants to take us on to and to encourage each other as the events move on. We must pray together, church. We must meet together. We must come and, and, and really call out to God. And we really must come and say, Lord, this is what we need. We ought to be praying uh, uh, for more musicians. You notice that with, with, with um, Richard going, we're one team short now. We need more musicians. It's great that we've got uh, Phil and Anne. It's great that we've got um, Paul uh, and... Huh? Henry. Yeah. Who? Henry? Tim. I knew really. I just wanted to see if you remembered. But it's good that we've got them, but we need more. And so that ought to be something we're praying about. We need more children's workers. We need more of everything. We need to come and say, Lord, this is your church. You add to us. You add to us. And so we've got, I haven't got any prayer meetings at all. When they start up again in September, we need to keep coming together to pray. These events, actually, in, in Egypt were not to be the culmination of Moses' struggles. And as we're going to see in future weeks, in many ways, he was just beginning with many more testing times along the way in the next 40 years of wandering in the desert. Poor old Moses. He didn't know what was in store for him. And if he had done, I think he'd have sought a different job somewhere else. So, for us, take heart. I believe God's with us and will cause his plans to come to fruition. When we look back, we will not see the difficulties, only the hand of God blessing us. I've had no personal experience of this, but women say that the pain of childbirth is quickly forgotten once they hold their newborn son or daughter. Is that right? Yes, they said, good. Um, (laughs) But it's true. Once you've got your lovely new baby that you've been carrying for nine months, those hours of labour seem to fade away. So what have we learnt? Well, we may not be as great as Moses, but he served the same God who treats everyone the same. Growth in the kingdom of God is not without cost and demands increasing measures of faith. Each time we step out in faith, even small steps like giving out the notices on a Sunday or when we feel shy or sharing a word of encouragement at a small group or a Sunday meeting to having a word for someone and praying for them are all steps to growth and maturity. You matter to God and to us in this church. Just as that baby Moses did when he flouted down the river in his basket of reeds was later to use that river so powerfully as the first miracle turning it to blood. So that's what we can learn from Moses.